This content is issued by Zeus Capital Limited, which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority, the designated investment business, and is a member firm of the London Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decisions regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Zeus. Please note that participants in this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed. Hi, I'm Nick Searle, a member of the Zeus Equity Sales Team and host of A Different Perspective. Here we interview interesting characters from the world of business and finance and uncover a different perspective. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts or contact me at live at zeuscapital.co.uk. It's Tuesday, 4th of April. With me today, I have Jasmine Ski. Jasmine is CEO of LSE-listed Guild Esports. Guild is a global esports business headquartered in London. Jasmine has a background in sports marketing, music sponsorship, and entertainment, with roles at Sony, O2, Live Nation, 3, and Snap. Today, we're on site at the Sky Guild Gaming Centre in London's trendy Shoreditch. Jasmine, welcome. Ah, oh, thank you so much for having me. Where did it all start? Well, I'm obviously Australian, um, a place called Newcastle back in Australia. And it was interesting. I was on LinkedIn last night and I saw this quote that talked about 95% of CEOs being college athletes. And that's probably where it started for me as well. So growing up in Newcastle, very, um, very committed to swimming, which I wouldn't say is the nicest sport ever. But, you know, I was very much a swimmer and I think it did teach me that kind of discipline and commitment, which sometimes I think about with our athletes as well here at, at Guild. Um, so yeah, I was loved sport, was very committed to it, and all I wanted to do when I left uni was sports marketing, and so that's that's what I did, and spent 10 years working in sport in Australia before I moved to London. And what sort of um, locations or, or teams did you work for when you were in Australia? Um, I worked primarily in rugby league, so um, actually... You know, I, I was thinking about how I um, got into it, but I moved to Sydney. I had a job. It was actually for a rugby union team. And I was like, this isn't this isn't the right role for me. And I was living in Bondi at the time. And it was those days where you printed out mm-hmm. CVs and sent 20 of them around to the people you wanted to work for. And the Sydney Roosters, which is one of the premier teams in um, rugby league, actually rang me for an interview. And it was like 100 metres from where I was living. I was like, this is perfect. And I went to my first interview, which was absolutely terrible, but I was like, I am going to work at this place. So I must have called the marketing manager at the time 10 times and said, let me have another interview. And then so I went in for a second and it was okay. And then I I rang him again and again and again until I got my third and then they obviously employed me. (laughs) So I wasn't scared of rejection. And you were there for a couple of years? Five, actually. Yeah, learned a lot, like working for someone that just taught me, especially around obviously the marketing of discipline but then it was you know it was just still print radio and tv so digital hadn't come in so i'm showing my age um but more around budgeting and spending and those things that i find very useful now and i've had um throughout my whole career and then from from the roosters um went to um the rabbitos which is russell crowe's team for a little bit um and then i actually decided i was working with an agency that was a digital marketing agency and again, showing my age, but this was a while ago. And I kept thinking this would be real, would be really interesting to learn. And I feel like I needed it for my career. And at the time, I think I was 27 and managing a team of 13. So I was quite senior. And I kept thinking, I can't know everything. Like, this isn't right. I shouldn't be in this role. Not shouldn't, but 
I still had a lot to learn. So I went and worked for this agency. They ended up all being British, but we were obviously living in Sydney. And they put me through my IDM, which is a course in the uh-huh. UK, um, which I highly recommend. And I've put a number of people that have worked with me on it. And I learned so much about direct marketing. And like, you know, direct marketing is a science, not so much an art, where the rest of the marketing I was doing was all, you know, about creative and that's art. What, I suppose it's very data-driven. Yeah, and I think that's what marketing has become a lot more now. So I very much had that framework and that, that foundation to really kind of build my career on the back of data, direct marketing, and also digital, which I'm so, so grateful for, for the, that experience that I did have. And then how did you find yourself in sunny Shoreditch? Well, I, it was, I basically had this moment where I was doing a contract. I'd actually moved to Melbourne for a year. I loved what I was doing, but it was a contract and I had to leave my house. I'd broken up with my boyfriend and I had to leave that job. And I was like, I just had had this niggle about London and I have a British passport. My dad was born in Scotland and it just wouldn't leave me. So I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to go. And I think my whole family thought I'd last about a year. You know, I was a beach girl in the sun, you know, everyone, you know, I just, everyone thought I would last about a year and here I am nearly 17 years later. And then how did, you know, how did landing on the shores, obviously again, still in marketing and entertainment? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, um, I did a contract with Sony Ericsson, which at the time was, you know, their Walkman range and um, Casino Royale. I, I did a big launch for that. So it was, I think they had like a 25% share of, um, Hence, it was like when Nokia was quite big, again, showing my age. So, you know, I really enjoyed that because it was my first global role. But I was like, well, I'm actually going to stay in London. So I went and got a permanent job that was with O2's agencies. And then I ended up going in-house at O2 as head of music sponsorship, which is probably one of the best jobs I've ever had. Mm -hmm. I had just a brief to change the music industry, which is what Priority Ticketing has done. It was at a time when brands weren't working with artists. You know, it was, I remember starting my job and I couldn't get an artist to do a ticket competition with us. And by the end, you know, I had worked with Gorillaz, Coldplay, Foo Fighters, and the, the brand went on to work with the likes of Beyonce. So we'd set up a program where the music industry really valued what we did, and they and they definitely still do. But just, you know, London wasn't easy. And mm-hmm. I say to a lot of people that come over here to give it 18 months, you know, I left a reasonably nice life in, in Sydney and Melbourne, <laughs> and then suddenly I was on pay-as-you-go yep. and, you know, couldn't get credit, and I was like, God, I'm literally starting again. But after 18 months, I just... I, I genuinely really, really love the city of London, and it's definitely my home. And then how do you find yourself in, in eSports? So I obviously worked in sport, I've worked in music, um, and I came in to, to work with Guild last year um, to help them with a number of projects. And I think one thing that when I was at three, um, I launched the 5G network for them, so ran that program. And the big thing about 5G was going to be how it was going to change gaming. So lag latency wasn't going to be a thing. You know, we, our mobiles would be able to play. And so I had done a lot of work within the gaming space around the launch of what we were going to do in 5G. Even when we did the Chelsea um, partnership, a lot of that was going to be to focus on um, gaming and, and that proposition. So I'd, I'd done a little bit of work in it and I guess I'd done sport and I'd done music and they're very traditional spaces now. Mm-hmm. And I think what excited me about coming into esports is that you're, we're right at the beginning of the journey of where we're gonna take 
this entertainment vertical and the numbers are absolutely staggering. So to be part of that was just something I couldn't say no to. Can you talk a little bit more about esports and, and what it is and, and, and where you, maybe where you see it going? Yeah, sure. So esports is competitive gaming. Um, so it's competing to, you know, in our case, to win prize money. So we are a professional sporting organisation. The easiest way I sometimes describe it to people is that um, we play in five different um, games. So we're in FIFA, Fortnite, Valorant, um, Rocket League and also CSGO, which we've just moved into. And so the easiest way I think to describe it to people is that it's like we play in five different sports. So FIFA and Fortnite tend to be your more mass gaming audience. It's also when we're talking to brands, they understand it. it's a very safe space and it's usually when someone go, comes into gaming, the games that they're more likely um, to play in and then you start to get into your more hardcore esports games such as Valorant and, and CSGO. So every time we look at a game um, and move into a game, we get a new audience. So it's slightly different from traditional sport, but we're a professional organisation, we have our home in Shoreditch, we have professional players, we have 17 professional players and then we also have an academy structure that starts with community and path to pro and, and, and leads up to those um, professional games as well. So it's literally like, you know, being in a Premier League team, except that we have five teams that play electronic sports. And you look after your athletes very well. I mean, gym, nutrition, training, yeah. and are they expected to come here to Shoreditch regularly to train? Yeah, they are. So not all our players are UK based. Yeah. Um, we have players all over the world. But Nico, who is um, now, I think he's number one in Europe, which is almost like being number one in the world for FIFA. Nico's from Argentina. We brought him over to London and he's often in here training with us. So Nico comes in. We also hand, have hand one of our Fortnite players um, that's London based. But yeah, our director of esports and gaming, Luke Jones, who started with us in January, him and I were very aligned on performance. And it's not just physical performance, but their mental health their nutrition, their well-being. So we have a team around that supports them. And obviously some of them are still quite young. So we all want to make sure that we're constantly holding their hand through this. And therefore, that you know, when they are performing well, when they're having their struggles, which is, again, what normal, normal athletes have. So their performance and their support around that is, is very key for us. I guess also because they are global sports and they attract quite a lot of marketing and, and, and uh, brand interest, yeah. the prize money is also very large. Um, yeah, it is. We just had Gamers 8, which is a tournament in Saudi announced. So last year, I think the prize money was 15 million in total. And this year it's 45 million. And I think you'll start to, to um, see prize money increase. So it's great for for the, the players. And that's 45 million split between a number of games. Yeah, yeah, number of games. We had obviously um, our big, big win this year or the end of last year was an ass, our Fortnite player. Mr. Beast, who's probably the biggest YouTube subscriber, ran a global Fortnite competition that anyone could enter with the prize money being a million dollars and then that's won that, which was fantastic. It's amazing, really, actually, yeah. to, th to think <laughs> all those kids in their bedroom carry on playing Fortnite, really. Yeah. You never know how lucrative it might become. Well, you know, it's one of the things that we're really focused on here at Guild is how do we take parents through that journey. Yes. Yeah. So we have a academy structure in place. We, As we're in the home of Shoreditch, we have a number of schools come in, and um, David Beckham's obviously our co-owner, and David really is in invested in that path to pro and supporting um, talent coming from the academy going through just like what he experienced in Manchester United so my favorite story is um, we had the kids in and Danny our Rocket League coach he used to be a professional player he actually coached the Commonwealth Games teams to, to gold and silver saw this kid come in playing Rocket League on a PC 
and was like he is literally in the top 0.1%. He'd never seen anything like it. Now, this child had only played on a Nintendo Switch. He hadn't even had access to a PC, so the machine was completely new for him. So we have signed that player. Um, you know, his, his mum doesn't necessarily want him playing during the week, so we coach him during the week, just so on the weekends he doesn't literally play Rocket League yeah. for 500 hours. And we really want to support her as well so that she understands that, you know, it's important that he goes to school, it's important that he looks after himself. Um, but, we, you know, we want her to understand the possibilities and, and make sure she's comfortable with that as well. And as the industry grows, the attraction for sponsors becomes much greater. And you have, we have a good roster of, of sponsors, don't you? Yeah, we do. We have a great roster. We've got the likes of um, Sky on board, who's the naming rights to this venue. They're on the front of our shirt. We have um, Subway, Bitstamp, Coca-Cola, Samsung. So we have a very good roster. I think what's exciting about our roster of sponsors is we brought new brands into the sector. And again, David being part of Guild definitely played a role in that. Um, but what's exciting is there's probably about 80% of um, the sector that's not invested in guild, so betting, apparel, tech, consumer goods. So we still believe that we've got a lot of room for growth there. I suppose, as you mentioned in the introduction, we're still very early in this journey of esports, so it'll take a long time for, for a number to convert, but that conversion seems to be speeding up. Yeah, it? definitely. I mean, the, if you look at like tr- us versus traditional sport, we have 577 million esports fans, and that's already ahead of rugby, NFL yeah. and baseball, which have been around for hundreds of years. If you then look at a gaming audience, it's close to 3 billion, so people that game. And that's only going to go up because Gen Z or game, like my generation, you were the gamer or not. But when you go to Gen Alpha, that next generation, all of them game, but actually 94% of them say they're gaming enthusiasts. So I think football has 3.5 billion fans. Gaming's at 3 million. So I really expect these numbers to, to grow exponentially. Like everyone ultimately will be a gamer. I mean, it's a truly global business as well. Yeah, it is. Yeah, our games are, are covered all over the world, especially uh, um, an event like Fortnite has a massive audience in, in North America. Valorant is in Asia. So there's, we're, we're in games that do, do give us a very broad reach. And then how do you find your players? How do you find those that you want to invite to the academy? Um, We have a scouting system, so we use a lot of data. And that's the one thing I love about what I do um, and how the team has set it up. We're not that subjective, so we'll see what players are out there, but we have a system in place where we actually look at their play through data so we can be quite objective about um, the players that we are choosing. So we go very wide. Um, obviously, we have a, a community program where the schools come in and we do look at those players and try to find players that are London-based, you know, specifically in this area. But we're, we're looking all over the world. We just signed one player that's in Egypt. And then, and then how competitive is the space for players? How many, how many other global teams are there that do, are doing what you're doing? Oh, there's hundreds, yeah. I think the one thing I'd say about us as a brand and where I want to take the business is... You know, we are tr- well, we are um, in the in the um, business of building a sustainable business model. I think when I came in, we had two revenue streams being sponsorship and prize money. We've now added Guild College, so we actually offer BTECs in diploma in esports. So we want people to have a career in esports and know that they can. It's not just about being a professional player. And I really want to professionalise the industry. So we felt like Guild College would be one of the best ways we could do that. I suppose it widens the ecosystem as well then, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. And then obviously we have this HQ as well. And then we also launched um, um, Guild Studios, which is all around working with brands on a campaign basis. So yeah, there's hundreds of team. I think where we're different is 
we are looking for operational excellence. We do call ourselves an esports and gaming brand. While we have professional teams, the academy program, Guild College, working with brands, being the experts in gaming within our space, I think is is what makes us slightly different. And then is there a new vertical or new game that you would want to bring into the stable? And do you then buy a team that's already established in, in that game or how do you go about? Um, yeah, sometimes, sometimes it does vary. I think the one that we're exploring at the moment, given where Luke has come from Red Bull Racing, um, and Nick, um, our SVP of creative, has also worked within sim racing, is, is that space of sim racing. So it's the closest thing um, to actually driving a Formula One car. When you think about how you get into Formula One, it costs a lot of money, yeah. it's go-karting, you know, it's, you have to be you know, quite affluent to get into that space. And what sim racing will do will allow kids that don't have access to, to that level of investment to still ha- potentially have a career in it. So it's where we're seeing the most crossover between an esports game and, and real world. So we're exploring that opportunity um, which makes sense because that's the space that Luke came from as well. I suppose that also it's tapping the natural talents, isn't it? It's finding that bigger pool of people that might not have that privilege yeah. to, then, to then take them forward. Yeah. Um, so how do you then compete with these other esports companies for, for players? Is it all on price or why would they come to... I think initially it probably would have been on like what what we were prepared to pay for them. I think our academy program is showing that we definitely do want that path to pro and we want to bring kids in a lot longer, younger and take them through to be professional. But I would also like to think that we're providing other opportunities like Guild College, like helping them to build mm-hmm. their brand, you know, looking after them professionally and also personally giving them opportunities around the coaching staff that we have and the structure we have in place. And I suppose bringing the parents on the journey as well means it's very, hopefully very inclusive. And yeah, it's very. It's a family <laughs> event, not just, not just the, 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 the athletes. Yeah, we definitely want the, the parents to be comfortable with the approach that we're taking. And then what are sort of the biggest barriers to success, do you think, for, for Guild? Um, I think probably, I wouldn't say necessarily for Guild, but, you know, I don't think our competition is other esports teams or gaming. I think where the industry could benefit is actually if we got together and saw music and sport is actually probably more the competition, especially when we look at sponsorship revenue. Um, I think the other thing that, you know, we need to work together on is in some, like especially the Nordics, esports is very much covered like a mainstream sport. So Mm -hmm. the coverage there, the following, you know, the TV rights is very different from the UK. So I'd love to see mainstream media really start to embrace esports. I think the challenge you have is, as I said, we're in five different sports. So if someone is a journalist, they have to essentially learn every every single game, yeah. which is slightly yeah. different than if you're just watching or covering the football. So I think that's one of probably our challenges is how do we get the support of mainstream media? How do we get them to understand that gaming isn't bad? Um, for, for children and actually there's a lot of positives to like any athletic sport to being committed to something and having discipline and turning up for training and and working your way through it so I think they're probably the the two areas that and then globally where are the biggest pockets of, of e-gamers I mean there's Asia everywhere so there's no, really it's across the world there's no real you know, Asia doesn't stand out or the US doesn't Ev- stand out yeah everywhere I mean the numbers are, are, are so big I think where it differs is like mobile gaming might be slightly bigger in Southeast Asia for yeah. example so it might be different games but yeah gaming is is definitely a global global sport I suppose as, as FIFA or soccer as a as football <laughs> is a global sport I guess it's the same yeah for, 
for FIFA on, on your on your PC. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then where do you see? What's the vision for Guild? Where do you see Guild over the next sort of five to to ten years? What would be the ideal blueprint? How does how do you get to? Um, I think, I guess for me, it would be moving into a couple of more games. So I definitely want to look at what exploring what we do in sim racing. I think we definitely need to look at what we're doing in the mobile space. Um, very much, you know, we are publicly listed. We do need to drive shareholder value. So looking at how we move towards that path of break even and profitability is very important for us in the next few years. Um, but also our audience growth and becoming one of the biggest gaming brands in the world. So, you know, we, we've seen some um, research that shows that we're, we're nearly up there in the UK and some of the orgs in the UK have been around a lot longer for us. But we also then just want to look at how we cement ourselves within Europe, North America, and then start to move in different markets with either a game or potentially with something like um, Guild College. As my regular listeners know, I like to close with three questions. I'll take one at a time if that's right, Jasmine. Your greatest inspiration or mentor? I would probably say inspiration, Serena Williams. I think she's just like what, you know, I mean, probably even Venus, but I just watch what Serena's done. You know, she hasn't, she's broken down like a white lily sport. She's taken on so much you know, barriers that were put up against her. And she was definitely a trailblazer, but not just for women's sport, I think for sport in general. I think what she's done for fashion, for what women mm-hmm. earn, like, she, I just find her incredible. Nice, um, that's very good. Uh, a book which has inspired you? Um, well, we obviously talked about our podcast yes. list, which um, was very much aligned. And I, I do love a podcast now, but I would probably say Daring Greatly by Brené Brown. Um, you know, I think when I read her book and around the, you know, watched her TED talk around the power of vulnerability, it definitely resonated. So her work is something that I tend to keep an eye on and follow. And then finally, what piece of advice would you give to a young person following in your footsteps if they wanted to follow you into your career? Um, I guess I probably made decisions that I just felt were right. And sometimes that was going against what my parents thought, you know, when I was going through so my... So sort of a gut feel or... Yeah, I just, I just knew it was right. You know, I, I don't know, my parents like, had jobs for 25 years where I think it was odd when their kids were coming through and kind of changing after two or three. So the one, you know, some people look at my CV and don't really understand it, but I had a lot of fun in my career. Like it never really felt like work. Like I worked very, very, very hard, but... The one thing I'd say to people is like, I don't want to be like, you know, go and do what you love and that might not earn money, but it's much easier to go to work when, you know, you have a purpose and you're driven and you really want to do something that's going to make a difference. And so my advice is like, try and make it fun and enjoyable because it's so much easier when it's something that you do love. And for sure, you have to go for, to work for a very long time. So you might as well, you might as well <laughs> yeah. enjoy it whilst you're there. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, how can listeners get in touch with you? Um, probably LinkedIn. Um, my name's quite unusual. My dad made it up. Um, so, yeah, it's Jasmine with an E, Ski, S-K-E-E. Brilliant, Jasmine. It's been great fun. Thank you very much for your time. No worries. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Different Perspective, a Zeus podcast. If you'd like to feature on the podcast or get in touch, you can contact me on live at zeuscapital.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.